A new project debuted this week at The Next, and the creator of it, Lucas Seehofer, is here to talk all about it. The Locked On Women's Basketball Podcast. It starts right now. Ogumba Wallet for the win. You are Locked On Women's Basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. Hi and hello. Welcome. You are locked on to women's basketball. I am Jackie Powell. I am one of your Friday hosts. I cover the New York Liberty at The Next, which is the place that sponsors Locked On Women's Basketball. I also help with our social media strategy at The Next and have covered the sport of women's basketball nationally at many other places as well. We want to thank you for making Locked On Women's Basketball your first listen every day. And remember that Locked On Women's Basketball is brought to you by everyone at The Next a place where we cover women's basketball all the time, and we tell the stories that need to be told every day. If you subscribe now, you can still get 27% off our typical price in honor of the WNBA's 27th season. That is $52.56 for a year rather than $72 per year. Also, Locked on Women's Basketball is free and available on all platforms, including YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many more. So the last time I was with you, dear listener, I had the incomparable Ari Chambers here on the show to talk about WNBA travel and how Brittany Griner and her situation changed the ways that we discussed WNBA uh, travel, including the league's chartering system or growing chartering system. But today we've got a very different topic or rather a project to discuss. I have Lucas Seehofer here. He is a journalist, a physical therapist, and a PhD student that once covered the links for us at the next, but now has taken on a really fascinating project and really a beat um, in that he has created a WNBA injury tracker, which is the first of its kind. So here's the rundown for you all. In the first segment, we are going to trace back to the origins of why Lucas felt it was necessary to create this tracker. Segment two, we're going to get into what you see on the tracker the names, the people, the injuries, and all that data. And then on the third segment, I'm going to ask Lucas point blank why all of this matters and why this needs to exist. Okay. So, Lucas, welcome. Thank you for being here. Let's talk about the origin of this injury tracker. Why did you decide that you needed to make this? Yeah, Jackie. First of all, thanks for thanks for having me on. It's been a while since I've been on the podcast, I, so it's, I'm I'm happy to be back. Um, but to answer your question, it all kind of started uh, 
uh, towards the beginning of the regular season, um, I'd been um, contemplating a piece, uh, kind of looking at, you know, the original kind of thesis I was going for is what do uh, WNBA teams do to prevent injuries? Um, uh, the kind of the, the crux of, of the story being, well, injuries, you know, if you read stories about Major League Baseball, all the NBA, football, uh, soccer, uh, particularly women's soccer, um, we're seeing this dramatic increase uh, in injuries, uh, particularly within the last five to 10 years, um, where it kind of like injuries have kind of were increasing with time, but in the last five to 10 years, they've really kind of skyrocketed. Um, so I guess I just assumed uh, that a similar trend was happening in the WNBA. Uh, so our fearless uh, leader, Howard, and myself reached out to a couple people in and around the NBA, basically trying to get a sense for what um, the injury rate situation was like in the WNBA. And what we found is that um, each professional league has what's called an electronic medical record. So uh, just like if you were to go to the doctor and you were to have a checkup, all of that information from that checkup would be uploaded into your chart on the, ele on the electronic medical record. Uh, well, all these professional leagues um, in America have these electronic uh, medical records. And theoretically, um, they're shared between all the teams. So all teams have information as far as um, how many injuries are happening, how frequently they're happening. Um, if they're going after a person in free agency or in a trade, they'll have their uh, chart available to them. Uh, that kind of stuff. Um, but what we found is that even though in the WNBA collective bargaining agreement, both the old one and the new one that was recently adopted, uh, there was a phrase in there that said this EMR is is supposed to be used, it needs to be used, and in part it can be used for uh, academics or researchers outside and unaffiliated with the WNBA so they can kind of track injuries and help the league uh, come up with ways to prevent injuries. Um, and basically what Howard and I found is that some teams are really good at filling that out and some teams are really bad at filling it out. Uh, so it kind of gave an incomplete picture of the injury situation in the WNBA. Uh, so uh, we uh, reported on a story for that published at the next uh, that was published uh, before the regular season started. And then with that, I figured, well, heck, if, if the league's not doing it, I could probably do it. It, it shouldn't be that difficult to do really. Um, so that's kind of where the, where the origin of this, of this tracker came from. I love that. I love that. And just, I'm really curious, you know, what was, cause obviously when you work on a piece in an investigation, like you worked on and just for our listeners, I will be attaching both the investigation that Lucas worked on and a link to the injury tracker in the show notes. So you will know where to find that once you're done listening to this episode. But I'm just curious if you can sort of just take us through what some of the aha moments were in this process when you're doing the research, when you're talking to these people, you know, what was that like? Yeah, yeah. So I can kind of pull back the curtain a little bit. Um, <laughs> so when I originally uh, approached Howard about this, I was, I basically, I think I sent him a message basically saying, Hey, I have this idea. Um, but it would really be fortified if we could have some, uh, WNBA, uh, injury data behind it. Um, I know they have an electronic medical record. Do you think we could get some anonymized information so we can have a sense of how many injuries are happening? Um, not even specifically, no, I wasn't even looking for data as specific as what we have in the injury tracker, just like 
general injury rates, general amount of injuries per year, and that kind of stuff. Uh, so the first aha moment was Howard saying, wait, the WNBA has one of those? And I said, yes, I know for a fact it has one of those. So he reached out to a source, and the source came back to him and basically told us what I had told you earlier, that the use of it is very infrequent. So then each of us kind of went our separate ways. I reached out to sources of my own. He reached out to more sources. And basically, I would say we we came back with maybe like 75% of the people we, we reached out to saying, yeah, it's it's not good. Uh, it, teams don't share information. Uh, it's not filled out, like all this kind of stuff. Uh, and 25% of people would be like, yeah, it's okay. I, I think I don't think there's anything wrong with it. So uh, so we kind of ran with that in the story, basically saying, hey, the, 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 the uh, general sentiment seems to be that this is not up to snuff, though there are some people that think it's it's um, it's okay or it's it's getting better. Um, but even the people that had said like, yeah, I think it's, I think it's doing okay for the most part said, Hey, five, 10 years ago, it was very, you know, it was very poorly utilized. Um, so that's, uh, really those aha moments where it was like, okay, we, we get this tip and then it gets, <laughs> it gets verified by, by sources in and around the WNBA from multiple, um, different, uh, angles. It's not like we and you know, went to to one source. We got it confirmed by by multiple sources to, to before we ran with it. Um, so yeah, it was just it was very illuminating because uh, there are some leagues that you know mandate uh, that injuries are reported. Like uh, Major League Baseball is a big one, um, and that information is pretty publicly available where you can go and find it. Um, whereas in the WNBA, I, it's either not mandatory or it's very poorly enforced. Um, so. Uh, it was just, it's just a overall, a very eye-opening experience of being like, wow, they have this EMR and there are certain teams that are not using it. And the league as a whole is not using it to the best of its ability. So any research out there that has to do with, uh, epidemiology of WNBA injuries, um, is just, I, I don't really know if you can trust it because who knows if they got, uh, complete inaccurate information. Did you understand through your reporting why this was incomplete? It just sounded like it was a lack of enforcement. Just that uh, the, no one came out and said specifically, no, nobody ever pointed to a specific entity and it said, uh, this is why. Uh, but it just sounded like overall there was uh, no real penalty not to. Uh, and it was widely understood that some teams uh, were better at filling it out than others. Uh, and there was no penalty for or for the teams that were not filling it out very well. Um, and I'm not trying to be coy about which teams are good and bad at, at filling it out. We, we weren't able to get that information, so we didn't include it in the story. Um, but it, it just basically just seemed the even though there was a law saying, a rule saying it needed to be done, there was no enforcement of it. So uh, some teams were figured, well, well why report it then? Interesting. I, I really, I just wonder, when I think of, when we talk about the WNBA earning that professional credibility alongside other leagues that you just mentioned, the thing that I always think of is this idea of staffing. And so what that means, so staffing at the league office, so those potential enforcers, and then also the staffing on the team side, making sure that there are people who it's their job to fill this out because some of those 
athletic trainers may be very much so um, overworked and have too many responsibilities. So that's when I read your investigation, that was something that popped into my head. It's like, I don't know if it's fair to assume that teams would just want to hide information to try to achieve a competitive advantage. I mean, if we're seeing teams fill out these reports in other professional sports, that was just my inkling. But I'm curious as to what yours is. Yeah, I I think that's probably a a good portion of it. I try to assume the best in people until proven otherwise. Um, Sure. You know, I, I do think that there's a staffing issue for sure uh, in the WNBA, especially on the, on the medical side. Um, and, you know, I do think there's also a question of if you do hide this information, is there really a competitive advantage that is, that is gained from that? Um, I'm skeptical about, you know, hiding it. I, I refer back to whenever I have this conversation with others about the national hockey league, uh, like if the if somebody gets hurt in the NHL, they either say he has an upper body injury, a lower body injury, or a head injury. Like they don't go into specifics. Um, you used to see that back in the day in the NFL. Uh, teams would not provide detailed information uh, in their press releases about injuries because they didn't think it. They didn't want to give a, the other team a competitive advantage, thinking that the other team would, you know, go after such and such a player's shoulder if they knew it was hurt. I just don't really think that happens in in sports in this day and age. Um, So I don't really think there's a competitive advantage to be had, really, for hiding that information. Um, So there's really no, in my opinion, there's really no upside to hide it. Uh, And the downside is it's just there's incomplete information out there. You know, you look at uh, sports like Major League Baseball uh, and the NFL, uh, for all their faults, to their credit, they have pretty robust injury reporting systems so people are able to do whether in academics or just you know lay people statisticians are able to go and and provide pretty detailed reports uh, about uh, injury trends Um, you know that was a big thing uh, that uh, some of my colleagues at baseball prospectus do uh, track uh, major league baseball injuries and it's been pretty illuminating it is it really showed teams like hey there's a there's an issue going on here with the rise in in elbow injuries Um, now, if they were just to say, you know, elbow injury and they weren't to report it as uh, ulnar collateral ligament or Tommy John, you know, injury, that, that kind of thing, um, there's only so much information that can be done with that data. Uh, and then if you just go and don't report a quarter of the elbow injuries that happen, then you're you're left in the dark as to how bad the situation really is. So I think that's kind of where the NBA or the WNBA finds itself right now uh, is kind of in that in the dark where I think everybody kind of knows there's an injury issue going on um but the exact extent um is just unknown and that's unknown to the public and quite frankly it's unknown to uh front offices coaching staffs and the players all right well we are going to take a short break but coming up we are going to discuss the injury tracker itself we're going to look at its nuts and bolts and sort of when you're looking at this thing, what it's made up of. But first, I do want to remind you all about BetterHelp. So, BetterHelp. 
So I am someone who began her mental health journey at age 17. I was always very outwardly stressed all the time, and I didn't really know what that was. It wasn't until I couldn't pass my road test during my senior year in high school that I thought, okay, maybe I need some additional help. Why couldn't I pass my road test when I had practiced just as diligently and probably more so than my peers? And like a lot of people, um, or for a lot of people, there is a, a common stigma where you say to yourself, well, what's wrong with me? So first of all, I'm here to tell you that there is nothing wrong with you and there was nothing wrong with me. But I needed to take care of myself in a new way. Just like when you have a cold, a flu, or a stomach bug, you can't function at 100%. The same that goes for physical health also goes for mental health. So sure, therapy helped me pass my road test, but it also helped me understand a lot about myself. It's helped me through grief and understanding what that is, and most importantly, therapy has helped me become a better version of myself. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, which I absolutely recommend that you do, give BetterHelp a try. It's online and designed to be convenient and suitable to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. If you want to live a more empowered life, and discover even more of your potential. Therapy can help get you there. Visit betterhelp.com slash LockedOnNBA today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash LockedOnNBA. And we are back. Yes, that I always really enjoy doing the BetterHelp ad just because as you all could hear, it's very personal to me. So anyway, we are back in segment two and we are ready to discuss exactly what this WNBA injury tracker looks like. So when it came to designing the tracker itself, what were sort of the, what did you base this on? And what were sort of like the, the first things that you needed to consider when mapping this thing out? Yeah. So I am very technologically illiterate. Uh, so the first thing I did was, all right, I need to figure out how to make this work on Google docs. Cause I don't know how to work anything else. Uh, from there, uh, basically what I did um, was, uh, and I got some help from uh, the team at the Next a little bit too, especially during the early phases of getting this going. Uh, but basically what we did is if the if an athlete showed up on the injury report or if we you know, saw an, uh, an athlete get injured in game, uh, we'd pop their name up onto the spreadsheet. Um, and then we would just track from there. Um, so that's really how it started. It was just... The name, uh, the name of the athlete, the date they got hurt, the team they played for, the body part that they hurt, 
uh, the date they returned and the games they missed. It was just very simple. Um, from there, I kind of started building it out a little bit further because uh, I, I figured, hey, there's there's a lot of good information to be had here. So um, from there, we started, or I kind of added um, different categories to look at. Okay, uh, for each specific body part, uh, how many injuries occurred, how many games were missed, um, added some percentages in there as far as like, you know, uh, foot injuries account for X percent of all injuries, that kind of stuff. Um, and then broke it down by team as well. Uh, so that you could see how many injuries each team suffered, how many, uh, you know, basically a proxy of the severity of those injuries based on how many games they missed, how that compared to the percentage of the total amount of injuries. Um, and then I also kind of figured, okay, you know, as much as we'd like all players to be made equal, not all players are made equal. Uh, so therefore not all injuries are made equal. Uh, so I wanted a way to kind of estimate the, the, uh, the quote-unquote impact of each individual injury. Uh, and I figured wind shares uh, would be a great way to do that. I know like um, at baseball prospectus, fan graphs, kind of more of the in the baseball spectrum, they use uh, wins above replacement or war. Um, in the WNBA, we don't really have a readily available war stat. Uh, so I used wind shares instead. Uh, so basically uh, what I found uh, or what I attempted to do was look at how many wind shares uh, an athlete has accumulated in the career divide that by the total number of games and then multiply that number uh, by the amount of, by the total number of games they have missed with a specific injury. So that gives you a specific amount of wind shares lost per game, basically kind of an estimate amount of wind shares lost. Um, and then, you know, add that up over time. So then you can kind of see which body part has caused the most wind shares lost, which teams have uh, had the most wind shares lost uh, and that kind of stuff. So, you know, really, it's not that complicated of a spreadsheet. It's basically just a running total and then with some percentages. Um, but I think it, it's very illuminating as far as um, giving us an idea of, hey, what body parts uh, not only get mo injured most frequently, but are more severe when they do get injured uh, and which teams uh, are particularly struggling with with injuries, both in terms of volume and in terms of productivity loss. And so I'm assuming based on you know, the data that you've gathered and the patterns that you've noticed, I'm assuming there's a correlation between which teams are doing well in the standings and maybe which teams are not. Have you noticed some of those potential correlations? Yeah, there there is a, a, a little bit of that. If you look at uh, the teams that are kind of been the most healthy uh, so far this year, it's interesting. Uh, the Las Vegas Aces have only had three injuries or illnesses this year um, and have missed a total of 19 games, though the vast majority of them, I think it's like 18 of those games are from Raquana Williams, who hasn't played any game yet this year. Um, but if you look at other teams, the Seattle Storm have had four injuries that have only resulted in five games lost. Um, the Liberty, again, another team at the top of the standings, have had four injuries with nine games lost. Uh, the Fever have been... Uh, arguably the healthiest team in the WNBA having three injuries with three games lost. So in, in that sense, there, there's not really a correlation, at least not yet. Um, I suspect that if you were to um, look at this and track it over a number of years, um, that, that uh, trend might kind of come out of the data, but for, you know, through half the season so far, it's not really there. Um, and similarly, another thing that is, is um, I 
not following a trend that I necessarily expected. I also took a look at, um, you know, there's always this theory, um, and this is something that makes sense intuitively uh, to me as a, as a rehab professional, is that athletes who play year-round uh, or play in multiple leagues are more likely to get injured, uh, if only because there's more uh, opportunities for them to get injured, um, but also because that, you know, their body wears down over time kind of thing. Uh, but so far, uh, by my count, and again, all this is done hand counted. Uh, so I'm not going to sit here and profess to say it's perfectly accurate, but I think it's pretty darn close. Um, by my count, there were 135 athletes who appeared in the WNBA game this year uh, that played in a different league prior to the start of, of the 2023 WNBA season. So whether that's athletes unlimited, college, overseas, uh, whatever. Now, of the people that have played in those games, um, they have missed approximately uh, 53%. They account for 53% of the total uh, games missed uh, to date. Um, but only 25%, 26% of the athletes that did play in a previous league have been injured. Uh, so to me, that says, you know, it's not necessarily a one-to-one -one correlation of you play more games, you get more injured. But the athletes that are playing more games, playing in multiple leagues, when they do get injured, their injuries seem to be more severe. Um, but that's something that we're going to have to keep an eye on over. I mean, it would take years of data to, to really hammer that home. Uh, but for the first half of the season, that's kind of what's popping up so far. I mean, the first name that comes to mind is, is Bree Jones. I mean, she mm -hmm. is... She's one of those folks who has played year-round and in EuroLeague for a long time. And, you know, it's, it's really so sad because each year that Connecticut team is hit with, with something new. Um, and then even I'm also thinking about, um, well, with the team that I cover, the New York Liberty, it's on the, on the other side of the scale last year. They had, it was Benajah Laney and Dee Dee Richards, both of whom did not play in an overseas league. They were on league marketing agreements, but they were out for the majority of the 2022 season. And then you had Rebecca Allen, who, when she was on the Liberty, she had concussion after concussion after concussion. And then she had the rib injury in in Sydney during the World Cup in the fall. So that, I think Beck Allen was another case of, you know, she just did not stop. And as a result, as you said, there were more opportunities to get injured. You know, I, I wonder when you, do injuries come in bunches at times? Uh, it, it seems like they do. Uh, I don't think there's any... Um, necessary, uh, necessarily any empirical evidence of that. I, I tried to look at uh, the data, uh, making a graph of kind of when these injuries occurred, and it was like, you know, craggy mm -hmm. all over the places. Um, so in that sense, yeah, maybe there have been uh, some some injury coming in bunches. Um, but to go back to what you said about, about Bree Jones, um, her injury is only one of two that have been suffered by the Connecticut Sun so far. Um, mm -hmm. But because she's, she's also the only athlete that has been ruled out for the entire year so far. Um, I should say that since the start of the 2023 season. 
I think there were a couple injuries that happened before the season started that have had players out for the rest of the year, but Bree Jones is the first one that has happened since the season started. Uh, so she's missed 27 or she will miss 27 games by the end of the year. And that's accounted for in this spreadsheet already. Um, but her injury was by far uh, the most uh, impactful in terms of win shares lost. Um, basically her injury cost um, the, the sun 2.9 win shares, uh, which I'm looking at, uh, at the table here, that's still the highest uh, among all the teams uh, in, in the league. Uh, so far there have been 16.8 total win shares lost. Uh, 2.9 of those have been from the Connecticut Sun, all from the loss of Bree Jones. Uh, whereas other teams that are uh, that are up there, um, the Sparks have lost 2.3. Uh, they've had just a bevy of injuries and illnesses. Um, the the Chicago Sky, same thing. They they haven't had many injuries, but the injuries they've had have kept players out for a long time. They've lost 2.2 win shares, and then actually the Minnesota Lynx are are, are up there as well, having lost two win shares. Uh, the bulk of which came when Diamond Miller uh, was out. Um, now, because when she was out, her wind share total was low, but since she's come back, she's been on fire and produced a lot of wind shares. Uh, so it, it uh, shows basically how much the, the Lynx missed her uh, during uh, the course of that. I think she missed like eight games or something like that. So, um, yeah, the Connecticut, uh, for being a, you know, a, a potential championship contender, um, they're, they're still very solid. Uh, still at the top, towards the top of the league table, uh, but missing uh, Bree Jones for the rest of the year, I think it's gonna it is gonna be very difficult for them uh, in the long run. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and then you have a bunch of these mysterious illnesses, which I mean, Jess Shepard on the Minnesota side and Lexi Brown on the LA side. I mean, this obviously was very different when COVID was at its height, but I mean, in the years you've been paying attention to the league, ha has this been, it almost seems like this is something new. Yeah, it seems pretty unprecedented to me. Um, I guess my assumption is that um, teams are just a little more cautious of keeping players out when they are sick, uh, just since COVID has happened. Uh, because I'm, I'm looking at the, uh, the totals. Um, right now, uh, ankle injuries lead the way uh, with 20 individual injuries. Um, but then number two on the list is illness at 12 games, uh, followed by the knee uh, with 11 injuries. Excuse me. The illness has 12, 12 occurrences of illness. Knee injuries, there's been 11. Um, so if you were to think, you know, from a basketball perspective, what are the body structures that would be injured the most? You'd probably go ankle, foot, knee. Um, and if you look outside of illnesses, that's how the top three goes ankle 20 injuries, knee 11 injuries, foot eight injuries. Uh, but then illness pops in there with 12 injuries and 28 games missed. Um, so I think it's just a collective effort on uh, on the league to say like, hey, if you're sick, um, we'll just give you a game off and then you'll, you'll come back next time. Because most, most of the illnesses have resulted in only one game lost. Um, the bulk of those 28 are uh, Jess Shepard and Lexi Brown. Uh, both of whom still haven't returned from from their illnesses, and we haven't gotten any specific diagnoses. I would expect we don't get any spe specific diagnoses, and I think that's all right. But um, it, it is definitely something that pops out on the page. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, we are going to take another short break, but when we come back, Lucas and I are going to dive into why this all matters on just looking at a greater 
picture here of why doing this matters for the growth and the health of the WNBA. And we're back. So, all right. So, Lucas, the question I'm going to pose to you is a very simple one. Why does tracking injuries matter? <laughs> well, how much time do you have, first of all? Um, <laughs> I, think, you know, I think that's a question that probably a lot of people in and around the WNBA have asked themselves, um, which I think is part of the reason why uh, some teams aren't very good at tracking the data and why the league isn't necessarily enforcing tracking of the data because uh, they probably, at least I would assume, they must not see value in it because otherwise if they saw value in it, then they would they would, they would would put emphasis on tracking it. Um, I think uh, the value from it uh, is, I think there's a lot of value in it. Basically, it tells you um, like any, any kind of epidemiological uh, study, you want to know what the illness is, who's affecting it, what it's affecting. Um, so you'd want to know that for COVID. You'd want to know that for, for influenza. And I think you want to know that for, for the WNBA. Because uh, if you don't know that there's a problem, if, if it's a severe enough problem and you don't know it exists, you can't do anything to counteract it. Um, so I think tracking the data from that perspective is, is super important. Um, I also think it does, you know, these can be correlative, uh, probably not direct one-to-one -one comparison, but correlative um, to uh, women athletes at lower levels, uh, the division one level, the high school level, the division three level. Um, because I, I I think you know something that is talked about quite a bit in baseball, and I, I definitely holds true in the NBA and the WNBA, um, is just that kids these days are in, just have so much volume of play at such a young age, and they specialize at such a young age, uh, and all those forces build up over time, and and can can uh, do quite a bit of damage to the to the body uh, if not counteracted. Um, so I think this data also shows you know, kind of the carryover that, hey, not only is this happening in men's basketball and baseball, but it's happening in women's basketball too, where AAU uh, has kind of become the, you know, the law of the land uh, as young as middle school age. Um, and then I also think it, it says, okay, by looking at this data, we can see that there seems to be a bunch of knee injuries, ankle injuries, and foot injuries. And when they do happen, they keep athletes out for a prolonged period of time. So what can we do as a league and as individuals to prevent these injuries from happening? Um, so it gives not only researchers, but the league, training staffs, coaching staff, strength and conditioning staffs uh, to say, okay, our team really struggled with knee injuries in 2023. Uh, do we have to change up our program so that doesn't happen in 2024? Um, again, if you don't have that information, you can't make changes and if you're not making changes, you can just expect the same thing to happen again or get worse. Um, so I think if we're not if we're not tracking this kind of information, that is just not out there. The knowledge just isn't there to be had. Yeah, yeah. And, and based on that answer, I mean, it seems like there's an incentive for teams to do this properly. If teams like the Sky and like the Sparks you know, don't want to be in a situation like this in 2024. And, and I'm not saying that those are two teams that, you know, filled it out or did not fill it out. I'm just saying 
their situation is tough, was really tough. The Liberty situation from 2022, where it was Beck Allen, Dee Dee Richards, and Benajah Laney, all of those perimeter defenders, like the entire perimeter defense was out for a large portion of the 2022 season here in New York. So it just, it seems like the, the positives outweigh the, the negatives here. But I think also what I want to ask you is, what do you think this injury tracker and just knowing this information can try to help improve the product uh, on the court? Mm -hmm. Well, I think, uh, you need to look no further than uh, than the NBA. Uh, one big overarching talking point in the NBA these days is rest and stars, uh, you know, resting for games when they don't ha have an injury uh, because they, they want to avoid injury. Um, you know, I think, you know, when we talk about the men's league, we talk about 82 games over a relatively short period of time. Uh, so it's a it's a high volume of games. And then you go straight into the playoffs uh, you have preseason before that. So you, they're never really, they're, the athletes' bodies are never really given time to fully heal. So over time, injuries are, are, are destined to happen. Um, I also wonder, and this is something that we've kind of talked about uh, off podcasts, is that the the WNBA over the last couple seasons, as they've increased the amount of games that they play in a summer, they haven't done so by increasing the, the amount of days that are within the season. So there's a drastic increase in volume uh, without a drastic increase in days between games. Uh, so I think they're kind of running into the same issue where um, injuries are just bound to happen. If only, again, because of there is an increase in volume in opportunities to get injured. Uh, but then there's also less days uh, between games. Uh, they don't have time necessarily to do your rest and recovery strategies and your strength and conditioning and uh because you're just hopping on on a on a plane not even a chartered flight you know kind of going back to at the beginning of the with your conversation with Ari I think not having chartered flights could potentially be contributing to injury because uh you know you're 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 uh, based on the whims of the on the flight schedule you know we've had some pretty notable uh instances over the last couple of years where uh, flights were delayed. Teams were late to getting into their, their uh, to the opponent's city. Um, people, athletes were playing not well rested. Uh, one of the strongest predictors of injury uh, that we know is is poor rest. Uh, so if you're not getting good rest, not getting good recovery, you're increasing your volume of games. It, it's just a it's just a snowball effect. Uh, so I think part of having this data set as well uh, allows people in and around the league to say hey, something is going wrong and maybe we need to look at making some changes, whether that's, you know, the continuation of the discussion about getting private flights uh, for, for the WNBA athletes or increasing the amount of days of rest in between games, uh, staying away from, like the, like the NBA has done, really tried to stay away from back-to-backs and four and fives and three and fives. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, frustrating, but it's not something that's uncommon where you see changes that are made in the men's league, uh, but completely ignored in a women's league. Um, but that's that's a, a discussion for a different day. Uh, but I would think that if we can learn from the mistakes of the NBA and not make those same mistakes in the WNBA, that'd be great. Uh, but some 
it's not necessarily heading that way in all uh, aspects of the league. I'll, I'll just put it that way. I think the, the final thing I want to touch on, Lucas, before we sign off is just how tracking injuries and the WNBA's hardship contract system sort of relate to each other because you were talking about the NBA and I don't think hardship contracts, well, I think maybe seven day, 10 day contracts exist in the NBA, but the hardship system that the W has, I do not believe is in the NBA. And not only that, but the NBA increased their roster sizes by adding G League players. Uh, So it it sure is pretty beneficial to have a, a minor league system where players that aren't actively active in the WNBA could have somewhere to play and be ready, but I digress. Um, I do think, you know, if you look at the injury data, the hardship players, they're not the ones that are getting injured. Um, So even though they're coming off this, you know, in some cases off the street, having not played and they're just thrown into game action the next day, that doesn't seem to be causing injuries. But I think what this data shows, and this is something that people around the league have been very um, open about. I think, Uh, Cheryl Reeve in particular has been really strong about pushing for this increasing roster sizes. Um, I think if you look at the, at the data here, you can, you could make the argument like, Hey, if we increase roster sizes, that alone may decrease the volume or the, um, the number of uh, injury instances uh, or opportunities that a given player might face. If you have more players on your roster, maybe you can say, Hey, athlete X, um, I know you're highly competitive, but let's just go 50% at practice today instead of hundred percent. Um, or you could say, Oh, Hey, you're, um, you know, you're, you're feeling a little worn down. We'll play you 25 minutes tonight instead of, of 40 minutes. Cause we have another extra player that we can just hop on out there. Um, I, I, I don't think it's, there's, you know, I think you wouldn't be able to look at this data in my opinion and say, aha. We need to increase roster sizes because this data specifically says so. But I think if you if you look under the hood, even just a little bit, I think you could use the data to justify saying, hey, if we could have instead of 12 players on the roster and honestly, you know, realistically, 11 players on the roster, some places, 10 players on the roster. If we could get that up to 14, 15, you know, do what the NBA did, 15 players on a roster. Not only would it give them more jobs for people so they wouldn't have to go overseas or play in other leagues year round, which would increase injury risk, um, but um, it would potentially cut down on on injury risk within the WNBA season itself. And that would cut down on hardship contracts. I mean, obviously, when you when you add roster spots, that means the salary cap has to go up. Um, but, you know... There have been so many teams in the past few years that have gone over the salary cap because they've been in and out of hardships because of long-term injuries. I mean, we could talk about the 2022 Minnesota Lynx where, you know, (laughs) Cheryl Reeve waves Angel McCautry and then, and Nafisa Collier was out for as long as she was because of pregnancy. Um, As we know this year, the league installed the pregnancy replacement player which to be quite honest that should have been installed right when the 2020 cba was but yeah it's just crazy that it took this long to get here (laughs) you know it just seems like common sense (laughs) yes 
But that is a discussion we can have later. But thank you for making Locked on Women's Basketball your first listen every day. I want to give a huge thank you to Lucas for hopping on the show today. Follow him on all of the interwebs, and that means Instagram, maybe Twitter, and now threads at... Uh, <laughs> oh, and Blue Check. Mastodon. Yeah. Post, probably. I don't know. <laughs> at S-E-E-H-A-F-E-R underscore. Uh, thank you for making us your first listen every day. And tomorrow, please come back tomorrow for our WNBA draft and pro player development scouting crew are back with a new series tomorrow. And it's called WNBA Retrospect. They'll be doing historical scouting evaluations on the best prospects to enter the W in league history in chronological order from 1997 through. I guess now. Um, and they're beginning with Tina Thompson tomorrow. So that should be pretty rad. But anyway, this has been Jackie Powell and Lucas Seehofer. And uh, we hope you have a wonderful, wonderful weekend. Welcome to Wallet. For the win. You are locked on women's basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball.